So Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Morning, everybody. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read that passage together and think about it. Oh, Lord, I pray you would open our eyes that we would see marvelous things in your word now. Amen. Just imagine with me for a minute. Uh, you're on a hillside. It's dusty, it's rocky, it's thorny. And uh, in the distance, you see a man walking towards you, and he looks a little bit probably like this. Um, He's not exactly well attired for the terrain. He's wearing sandals. And uh, as he gets closer to you, you probably smell his feet before you can see them because they're an absolute mess. That He's been tripping over stones. He's, he's kind of torn them up on thorns. And they're, he's clearly been moving for quite a long time. But as he passes you, he breaks into a run and then breaks into a sprint. And he's herring down this hill towards a ruined city. And uh, on the walls of this city, there are, there's a, a city watch, there's, there's, there's guards, and they come out to meet him. And as he approaches the guards, this, this man, this runner, this messenger, manages to get out just four or five words uh, before he just collapses, Woo! exhausted in a heap on the floor. But those four or five words change everything. Because the guards, they're high-fiving, they're jumping up and down, they're hugging each other. Some of them run off into the city. And in the city, you hear people singing, you hear people shouting, lights are coming on, people are waking up, passing this news around uh, from one to the other. Just this cascade of, of joy and relief is, is, is blooming everywhere. Outside the city, though, two of the guards come over just to check on this messenger, check he's all right. And they look down at his feet with, you know, toenails hanging off of them and thorns sticking into them and covered in, in blood and sweat and mud and pus. And uh, one of the guards says to his mate, you see those feet? Those are the nicest feet I've seen in my entire life. And his friend looks at him and nods and says, yep, got to agree with you there. Those are some beautiful feet. It's a weird scene, isn't it? This is the scene Isaiah presents to us this morning. Feet are not generally considered beautiful, especially not feet which have done what that guy's feet has done. But then you zoom out and you see the context and it all makes a lot more sense because this city is Jerusalem. The ruined city is the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace. It's supposed to be this place where, where God's blessing, God's comprehensive well-being was felt and experienced in every dimension of life with its great walls to keep out the, the forces of darkness and death. 
It was supposed to be the city of God as well, where God made his presence known in a, in a, a unique and special way. Even though he's the Lord of all, God is everywhere. In a very special way in those times, God dwelt in Jerusalem. But because of the sins of the city, God withdrew his presence and his protection. And the walls have been knocked down. Some of the population have been taken off into captivity. Others are still there in the city, but they're living this kind of shadow existence. It's, a, it's this twisted parody of what life was meant to be. The peace is gone. The goodness is gone. The blessing's gone. They're just clinging on. And the forces of evil, the enemies of this city are in control now. And then one day, the guards see someone on the hill, and it's this man, it's this, this sandaled messenger running towards them. And he gets there and he says this. He publishes peace. Those days of, of wellness and goodness and, and comprehensive blessing are coming back again. He brings good news of happiness. He knows this is good stuff. This is the most joyful message he has ever carried. It's the most joyful message their ears have ever heard. He publishes salvation because God has won a victory. God has done something to destroy all the enemies, all the forces of evil which are oppressing Jerusalem. God has done away with them. He's brought rescue, salvation. And that means, he, he kind of summarizes his whole message in, in three words in English, two words in Hebrew. Verse seven, your God reigns. The days of dominion of evil in this city have been done away with and God the God who loves them, the God who made them, is in charge again. And if someone came to you, just imagine yourself, you know, totally hopeless. You, you, you know what this city should have been and you just see the ruins and the wreckage and the rubble and someone comes to you and says, God has fixed it. Your God reigns. You would kiss those feet, I promise you. You would think that those feet were the loveliest sight you'd seen in your entire life. And I reckon that our situation is, is somewhat like that. Because our world feels a little bit like ruined Jerusalem. It was built to be this world of peace where people lived in harmony with one another, in harmony with creation, in harmony with God. And as we know, all of those relationships have been kind of twisted and broken. And it was made to be a world of, of God's blessing, God's presence. It was supposed to be a place where humans could live in peace with their creator and have that rich intimacy. And because of human sin, that relationship between God and humanity has been has been, been pulled apart. We can still know God, but there's a distance there now. But then, 2,000 years ago, on the hills of Galilee, appear this messenger with beautiful feet, announcing to the world, your God reigns. Or to use the exact quote, he comes and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. God is king again. God reigns now. Repent and believe the good news. And Jesus, that messenger, he doesn't just uh, preach it. He, he, he shows it. You know, he, he goes around doing good, healing people, 
takes a, a, a dead girl by the hand and, and lifts her to life again. There's a man with leprosy. He touches him. He's healed. Everywhere Jesus goes, this new age, this new reality of God's kingdom, God's presence, just, just breaks in like, like spring in a field. But if you want to see how wicked humanity is, look at this. People took those healing hands and those beautiful feet and nailed them onto a cross. And if you want to see how good God is, think about this. God uses that moment of ultimate rejection and rebellion and turns it into his ultimate victory. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, that is the ultimate occasion. Verse 10 talks about when God would bear his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth would see the salvation of their God. That happened in its full and final form on the cross. As Jesus dies there, death is defeated. Evil itself is put to shame. And then three days later, Jesus rises again. And it's not an accident that he, he rises on the first day of the week at dawn. It's, I think this is God's way of showing us this wasn't just a new week that was beginning. This was a whole new age. This was a whole new reality breaking into our world. Because when Jesus dies and rises again, death is done away with. There's a new existence possibility. God's world of peace and goodness starts to break into this one. Ben mentioned earlier, um, we're in Advent now, and that's when we, we look forward. One of the things we do in Advent is to look forward to Jesus coming back again. Because this isn't finished yet. God's work in the world is not finished. You know, I, I believe with every fiber in my being that something changed when Jesus died and Jesus rose again. But when we look out the window, we still see death. We still see a lack of peace. We still see the ruins of this reality. But what Jesus' death and resurrection did, it showed us the start of something that one day God will complete. It was the first victory that anticipates the final victory. There will be a day when Jesus returns and what he started in that garden tomb, he's, he's going to expand. It's going to go global. It's going to be for everyone and everything. The whole new creation where peace and justice reigns. And Christian mission exists and happens between those two points. We look back to what Jesus did when he, he died and rose again. But we're also looking forward and, and, and getting people ready for when he comes back and makes everything beautiful and new again. And Jesus has commissioned us, he's commissioned our church He's, it's like he said to us, right, you're the beautiful feet guy now. Uh, in that uh, reading that we, we had from the book of Romans, the New Testament reading, I don't know if you spotted, but at the end, Paul alludes to this verse. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who have good news. But he doesn't directly quote the Isaiah verse, because in Isaiah, it's how beautiful the feet of him who has good news, one of them. But when Paul alludes to it, he says, how beautiful the feet of those with good news. This has been expanded now. Jesus is calling not just one, not just a few, but a multitude of messengers, a glorious uh, choir 
of people to sing of this salvation and to go into all the world to every place which is not heard. And that is me and that is you. That is all of us. All of us are invited to take part in this now. All of us have this message. Those of us who know Jesus Christ, we've seen the new age come in Christ. We know it's coming in all its fullness. And we have the, the honor, the privilege, the duty, and the joy of making that known everywhere. Because this is salvation for the entire earth. I know that many of us here, we're already walking on this road. We're already uh, committed to the mission of God, to seeing his kingdom come in Benwell, seeing it come everywhere. And uh, as one of the St. Joseph's mission partners, I just want to thank you for all the ways we've, we've felt your support and also say we do take a, a keen interest, even when we're a long way away, we take a keen interest in what you're doing. We pray for you and we're, we're so thankful for, for the mission which is happening here in Benwell, just the same as it's happening where we are in the Balkans. Um, but I want to share maybe just two uh, encouragements from this passage, which I hope will help us to, to go further on this journey of mission, which God has us on. Two things which I've seen again and again and again, God uses. God so often transforms people so they have tough feet and happy hearts and people like that he loves to use in his mission. And we're going to look at those in turn. So, if you look at verse 7, it says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. As we know, mountains are hard to get over. Do you know that um, Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough? You know, there's this young couple saying to each other, I would go over a mountain to get to you. There's not a valley too deep. There's not a river too wide that would stop me from getting to you. Super romantic. Just imagine for a minute. You know, imagine if they, the words were different. Imagine if it was, I would happily take a short stroll to get to you, but as soon as I see any kind of incline, I'm out. And rivers are an absolute no. That's not getting sung at any weddings, is it? There's something about that song, you know, these two people saying, I am committed to this. I'm committed to you. I would go through anything to get to you. It's that same level of commitment that this verse is talking about. It's a man who went through the mountains, went over anything to get this message out. And it's that same level of uh, drive, of, of grit, of focus that God, I believe, is working in his church today. That spirit which says, I would go through any mountain, through any valley, I would go through any obstacle. We, as God's people, this message needs to get out. We will sacrifice comfort. We will say no to the lie that the comfortable life is the good life. We are willing to give things up for this. This matters. People matter. And they need to hear this. I want to tell you about one of my absolute heroes. We've got a picture of him up here. Um, he's, a, he's an Albanian man called Gerasim Chiriazi. Um, he's a hero for a lot of reasons. I mean, firstly, that beard and bow tie combination is extraordinary. Um, but more than that, this guy was basically the father of the Protestant movement amongst the Albanians. Uh, he lived at the back end of the 19th century. 
and he became a believer and then went to Bible college in Bulgaria. He had a relatively nice job pastoring a Bulgarian congregation, but his heart always beat for his people, for the Albanians. And um, one day in 1884, he set off to go back there. On his way over the mountains, he was captured and uh, some hostage takers uh, demanded a big ransom for him. And they held him captive for about six months. And in that time, they were, um, they were fleeing from the Ottoman uh, army. So they were, they were moving him from uh, cave to cave. Sometimes they'd stay in a, in a field. Sometimes they'd stay in a little farmhouse or a ruined building. It was depths of winter. It was bitterly cold. And it was extraordinarily difficult. Um, and this guy, Jerasim, wrote down an account of his time in captivity. And he's not trying to be the tough guy. He's very honest that he was cold and miserable and scared for most of the time. But one of the nights, um, they bumped into an Albanian family. Usually he was just with his captors. But one time he got to speak to this Albanian family. And he'd just been translating Matthew's gospel into Albanian. And he was able to share some of the book of Matthew with this, these Albanian farmers. And afterwards he wrote this. If we could get the, the quote up, that would be great. Um, Gladly would I endure the sufferings of a captive all my life if I were free to teach my brethren, as in the Albanians, to gain that knowledge which makes someone a friend of God, a light among their fellows, and a blessing to their native land. And this guy didn't just say that, he lived it out. Because when he was released after about six months, he spent a few months healing up, he got very sick in captivity. And then he sets off again, tries again to get into Albania. This time he's successful and he manages to plant a church. I find that absolutely inspiring. That is real tough feat, isn't it? That is commitment. But there's something else which I, I just see again and again and again in gospel workers all around the world, and that's this, happy hearts. Um, you probably noticed, but there's just joy all through this passage. Verse 7, the messenger brings good news of happiness. What a brilliant summary of the gospel message that is. Good news of happiness. I love that. Verse 8, the watchmen lift up their, song, their voice. They sing for sounds of joy. Verse 9, break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. It's poetic language, but it's saying this, this is so joyful. This explosion of joy unleashed by the gospel message is so good that even the scorched earth and toppled towers of Jerusalem, they're joining the choir now. It's, jo it's news which makes even the ground rejoice. And again and again, God works that sort of joy into his people's hearts and it propels them forward on mission. Uh, a close friend of ours and a colleague in Albania is called Zaya. And um, he's had a really rough life. I asked if I could, we're going to be sharing a bit about him uh, in the lunch later on. And uh, I did ask him if you know, I could share his testimony here and at the lunch. And he said, Brother Robin, tell them the testimony of my life. 
And I was thinking, I, I literally can't. I mean, we've, we've got a curry to get to. We'd be here all afternoon because what a life this guy has had, most of it awful. He, he really has suffered. Um, but he also laughs faster and smiles more than almost anyone else I've ever met. It, to the extent that he was at a, a family reunion with a, a distant cousin of his, uh, lives abroad, hadn't seen him in a few years, and, um, but knew all the stuff he'd been going through. And this cousin came up to him and said, Zaya, why are you so happy all the time? And he said, Jesus, and then proceeded to tell them. It's special when people have that kind of, uh, that joy, that spontaneous happiness in the gospel. Do you know what's even more special? When it's combined with those tough feet. When you meet people who've got tough feet and a spring in their step. When you meet people who are totally focused on this, they have that grit, they have that determination. But as well as being focused on the gospel, they just look like they're having a fun time doing it. There's just a lightness about them. There's a joy about them. Oh, I pray that I would have that combination. I pray that St. Joseph's would be a community full of people with that combination of, of willingness to sacrifice, also willingness to laugh, and a, a, a sense of privilege that we are doing this. I pray that people would go out from this congregation and they would go to some of the hardest places. They would cross any obstacle, any mountain. They'd go there and they'd stay preaching the gospel. And at the end of that, whatever difficulties that might bring, they'd be willing to say, that was no sacrifice. That was a privilege. But not all of us are called to go a long way away because as Ben completely correctly said, Mission happens here. Mission happens everywhere. You don't need to go somewhere else to be on mission. We're a church on mission right here. I pray that people here, we would be in the community. We would be making sacrifices. We'd be making relationships. We'd be making ourselves available. We'd be pouring ourselves out and making the gospel known right here. I also pray that there'd be people here and we'd be sending people abroad. Again, that's sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to send Rosie and Chris. They're great. They're absolutely brilliant. Any church in the world would want to have Rosie and Chris. As uh, Ben correctly said, it's hard. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wrench to let someone like that go. But it's the gospel call and I pray that our joy in the gospel, our delight in the Lord and our love for the people of Spain would make that goodbye just that little bit easier. I pray that we'd have that combination in our praying, that combination of focus and drive, but also real joyfulness. I love um, uh, Colossians 4 verse 2, I think it is. Um, don't quote me on that. But um, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's that combination, watchful, focused. You're, you're laser focused on this. And, and real praying is really hard work but also thankful. There's a lightness, there's a delight in what God is doing and what he will do. I pray that that would characterize our praying, that we'd be willing to sacrifice for prayer. We'd cut stuff out of the diary to make room for real, serious praying. Pray that that combination of sacrifice and joy, I pray that would characterize our giving, that we'd be willing to give to the cause of mission, that we'd be willing to share sacrificially with the poor around the world, wherever they might be. 
that we'd be willing to take a hit on our own standard of living so that we'd have more to share with others and that we'd learn what it means, as Paul says, to be cheerful givers. Again, there'd be a sense of joy, there'd be a sense of lightness as we're sharing with others. That combination is hard to get to. It always starts with prayer. I realize that for some of us here, we're going through a lot at the minute, and I don't want you to feel another burden. What this this passage holds before us is, is a life of joy, and I know that for some people, you're really struggling at the minute. I don't want you to feel that, well, not only do I have all these very difficult things to go through, but now Robin is telling me I need to be joyful on top of that. That, that might just not be where pe- some people are at this morning. Um, when Alice and I were praying last night, we were praying this, that anyone who is walking through that dark valley at the minute, um, you just know God's kind of peace, just him being with you, comforting you. But I guess there are some of us, and maybe there's nothing especially bad happening in life at the minute, but maybe it just feels like some of the joy and the freshness of the gospel has, has just gone away a bit. It doesn't seem as exciting as it once did. I would encourage you, go home, get on your knees, and pray. Say to God, I want more of you. I want that joy I want that freshness. I I want to rejoice in your mission. I want the good news of happiness to be my happiness. In my experience, you know, when I've gone through phases like that in my own life, uh, because we all do, in my experience, God loves to answer prayers like that. And it might be that the Lord leads you into some specific practices you can do to grow your joy in the Lord to grow your joy in his mission. Some people find reading missionary biographies incredibly helpful. Some people find, you know, get involved in Rosie and Chris's support group. You know, when we're we're involved praying with mission, often that's when the joy starts to come. There's one thing I do, and it might sound a little bit daft, but I found this really helpful, actually. Um, Where I live in the Balkans, no one wears shoes indoors, so there's always a big pile of shoes by the front door. And when I go out every day in the town, I do this. Um, I'm putting on my shoes and I'm doing up my laces, which does take a while. I'm not very good at them. Um, And I think through this verse. I think through the feet of those who have good news are beautiful. I think I am part of something beautiful here. God's mission is a privilege. This is joyful news. And then I stand up and I say to myself, I'm wearing shoes, and I've got good news. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, but I am wearing shoes, and I do have good news. And I'm about to go into this town, and there will be people there. There will be young people who spend eight hours a day on their smartphones. And they're just bombarded by bad news. They're bombarded by this, this kind of curated picture that everyone puts on social media of this perfect dream life and they're feeling I don't have that I don't look like that am I worthless does anyone care about me would what would people see say if they saw the real me I've got good news for that person about a God who does see them and loves them all the same and I'm going to be meeting people who are um, involved in in some really strict religious practices you know, there are people in my city who fasted so hard it's made them ill because they're desperately trying to please God. They're trying to reach out to God and they don't have 
any assurance that they have. I've got good news for that person about a God who reached down to get them. They don't need to make themselves ill to please him. In Christ, that is offered freely. And I'm going to be meeting people in my city, and we see this a lot, people who spent all they have going from doctor to doctor, trying to get healed, and none of the doctors could do it. And then when that didn't work, they've gone to kind of a, 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 a traditional magical healer, basically, and given them the rest of their money, and that hasn't worked either, and they're just getting iller and iller. And I have good news for that person, that there is a God who has defeated the power of death and can take them by the hand through whatever life throws at them and eventually take them to glory if they would only put their trust in him. So yes, I am wearing shoes and I have good news and I desperately want them to hear it. And there are people in this community, there are people all over the world who desperately need to hear this good news. And we have been blessed with beautiful feet and the opportunity to do something about it, the, the, the privilege and the joy to join in God's mission. I, I just want to challenge you. What's the next step for us as a congregation? But also, what's the next step for each of you as an individual? What's it mean to join in this work? Because it is a joyful work. It is a wonderful work. And there are people in this community and beyond when they hear this news, they will think, that's what I've been waiting for. That is the best thing I have ever heard. And those people from St. Joseph's, they have the most beautiful feet I have seen in my life. I'm going to pray for us now. I'm just going to leave a time of silence for you to respond to whatever the Lord might be saying to you. Oh, Father, we are privileged to be invited by you to join in your mission. I pray, Lord, that you would use us, shape us, show us your ways, teach us to be women and men who fish for people. And I pray that through what we do, many in Benwell and beyond would hear the good news and that the nations would be glad to the glory of Christ. Amen.